If you're visiting with us this weekend, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to share with us this morning the Word of God. We're in the middle of a series in the Lord's Prayer, and we find ourselves in verse 12, in which there's a petition for our debts to be forgiven, for our sins to be forgiven. And the second part of that is as we forgive those who have sinned against us or as we forgive those who owe us something. The Lord's Prayer is ultimately asking for one thing, not, not six different things, though there's, it's outlined in six different petitions. But we're asking for the Lord to make himself known. We're asking for the Lord to reign. We're asking for his kingdom to come, for his name to be made holy. All of these things, these aren't un, unrelated, separate requests But in all of this, the Lord is making his name great. And we submit to the will of the Father. But the request we're looking at this morning in verse 12, in which we come to the Father and asking for our debts to be forgiven, answers our most desperate and dire spiritual need. Of course, when we ask the Lord to meet our daily, to provide our daily bread, we're asking for him to meet our most basic, fundamental, physical need. But the request for the, forgiveness, for, the, for the forgiveness of sin, excuse me, is to see that our most dire spiritual need is met. And to, to think that we could even come before the creator of the universe, the almighty God, both in prayer and at the table like we just shared a moment ago. To think that we could come to the Father, kneeling at the foot of the cross and ask for forgiveness is unthinkable. It's, it's audacious that we could come to the presence of an almighty God and ask for forgiveness. But as we'll see, when we do that, the Father is gracious. He's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger. All those things we just sang are true of our Father, and he will grant us that forgiveness. It's what he's all about. He will grant us the request, and he will never withhold forgiveness from those who seek him. It's the cornerstone. If, if God weren't forgiving, if God hasn't forgiven us, the, the, the very pillars on which we live and breathe and hope in life, they stand on nothing if God isn't a forgiving God. And if he won't grant us the forgiveness when we come to him, we have no hope. But of course we do. We do have hope because God has forgiven us and he does forgive us. You'll notice the sequence, the sequence that the relationship between this request as Pastor Barry reminded us, it doesn't start here. It doesn't, pardon me, it doesn't end here at the table. It does start here. It starts with the forgiveness from the Father. But it certainly does not end here. It needs to trickle its way down. It needs to go from being up here kind of forgiveness to down here kind of forgiveness. And so as part of our sermon time this morning, I'll share three thoughts with you. And then I'll invite a sister, a friend of mine, Jill, to come up and share by way of illustration how this forgiveness up here works its way into forgiveness down here. And so what I'd like to do is go to Matthew chapter 18, in which we will, we will work out Jesus' words of forgiveness from Matthew chapter 6. We'll, we'll work this out from Matthew chapter 18, which is an illustration of a servant, of a king who forgives a servant a great debt. And we will use this illustration, we will use this parable. I want to draw out three points, and I want to show the gift that forgiveness is for us. I want to look at the cost of forgiveness, and I want to consider the call to forgiveness. That'll be the three pillars for which we'll spend our time together. 
But I'd like to turn now to Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, the verses before our, our passage here, which is in verse 21, Jesus is teaching about forgiveness and he gives us a framework, a pattern for how it is we ought to forgive a brother or a sister when they sin against us and they're not willing to repent. And Jesus gives a framework. And so Peter, as he often does, is he, he pushes it further and he asks the question that everybody's thinking. Jesus knows this, and so he waits for Peter to ask. And in verse 21 is where we'll begin. Peter comes up to Jesus, and he says, Listen, how often, Lord, will my brother, when my brother sins against me, will I forgive him? We've seen in the, in the verses just preceding this that the goal of forgiveness is to win your brother back, to gain your brother or your sister back. It's for restoration. It's for reconciliation. And so Peter says, how often then... And in Jewish, Jewish custom, that, that number was three. It was, it was acceptable, it was expected to forgive somebody three times. And in like baseball, after the third strike, you're out. So, so Peter here, in his, what seems to be grace, says, is it seven? How many times should I forgive Jesus? Is it seven? Jesus replies, and his reply sort of blows the doors off of Peter's request, off of Peter's question. It blows it up entirely, and Jesus says this, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And in the Bible in front of you, you may see seven times seven. And in other Bibles, it says 70 times seven. And however you get, whatever your math takes you to, whether it's 49 or 490, is kind of irrelevant because Jesus is leaving an obvious exaggeration, stressing a point that there's no end, there's no limit to the forgiveness, neither in frequency or in quantity, that you will forgive a brother or a sister when they come to you. We do this all the time. We, we make exaggerations and so, so to, to make a point. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He says, it, does, it doesn't matter. There's no number. There's no limit to the forgiveness. Let's look at verse 23. He tells a story. Parables serve this purpose, an, an illustration to, to demonstrate a heavenly principle in earthly language. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So he opens up his ledger and he goes through and says, we're going to collect on some debts. We're going to settle these out. Verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, most of us will never know that amount of, of debt. 10,000 talents in today's equivalent would be about a billion dollars. If you owe somebody a billion dollars, that is a significant debt. This debt has to be paid. And so the king calls upon him to collect his billion dollars. And when he realizes, as in verse 25, when he realizes he could not pay, his servant could not pay this debt, he orders him to be sold along with his wife and his children. He orders him to be sold in order that the, the, the payment would be made. It sounds a little extreme, but in those days it was common. That's what you would do. You would sell people off as a way to recoup some of your costs, or you would imprison them to put pressure on the family to pay the debt so we can let the prisoner free. Prisons were, were less, less often filled with criminals because they usually paid their, their debt by a form of execution. So prisons were filled with people with unpaid debts to their creditors. So the servant fell on his knees he begged and implored, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And listen to this, verse 27, out of pity, out of compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and he forgave him of that debt. This is shocking for a king to do, a king who is, is the, the highest authority 
with an unthinkable debt to forgive somebody is completely shocking. But when that happens, two things occur. The, the servant who owes the debt is, is set free. He should have been sold, but he wasn't. He was set free, and not only that, his debt was cleared. He wasn't let go on probation, but he was let go. He was released, and his debt was paid. Let's continue, verse 28. His, so his fellow servants... Pardon me, verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. You can read there a few thousand bucks, which pales in comparison to the billion. A few thousand compared to a billion. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down and pleaded with him. His fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Does that sound familiar? Begging for, 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 for patience, for mercy. But verse 30, we see it says he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Instead of taking pity and responding with compassion, he is indignant. He responds not with pity or compassion, but with imprisonment. He refuses the request of his servant to, to be patient with him. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master, to the king, what had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master, the king, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. He says to his servant, don't you have any clue? Did that not mean anything to you? The billion dollar debt, the unthinkable, impossible debt, having been free, did that not change anything for you? And if this is how it's gonna be, if you're gonna choke your servant over a few thousand bucks, I'll show you how it's gonna be and I will lock you up until every last penny is paid. There ends the parable and Jesus tells us the point. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And I imagine in that moment, things got quiet. I imagine in that moment, they understood, okay, forgiveness starts and it doesn't have an end. So using this, I wanna look at the gift of forgiveness, the cost of forgiveness and the call to forgiveness. Forgiveness is first and foremost a gift. It's a gift of God's grace. That the king would, would forgive a debt, not to mention of this magnitude, any debt at all, but of this magnitude was shocking when he could have and should have rightly, justifiably imprisoned his servant. He had his life quite literally in his hands. But out of pity, out of compassion, not out of compulsion, he showed mercy on the servant. And life in the kingdom, life when we live for God, this is what we breathe in and out. We breathe in and out mercy and grace and forgiveness and kindness. This gift starts by receiving it and it works its way out in our life. You see, your debt, that could never be paid. I hope you see the, the, the application of this parable. It's not an imaginary story only. You know that you and I are the servant with the billion dollar debt. 
Our debt, which could never be paid, not even in a hundred lifetimes, not even in a thousand lifetimes, has been paid for freely as a gift. The king is, of course, compared to God and in his mercy lets his servant go. We've been set free. And when this happens, the apostle Paul demonstrates in the book of Colossians two key, that there are many things that occur. But for our purposes this morning, there's two things that occur. We see this in Colossians chapter one and Colossians chapter two. We're transferred from darkness to light. We're we're freed from a kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. He says this in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, your former life, your, your old way of being enslaved to darkness is no more. You've received a new identity. You're part of a new kingdom. And it's not one of darkness, but it's one of light and it's one of life. The second is in Colossians 2. Also verse 13 and 14 says that you have been brought from death. You were dead in your sins. And you've been brought to life. I'll read it for you. You were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You and I have a debt. We had a debt and it's been paid. It's been looked after. Not just the debt, but even the record of the debt. There's no stain. There's no, there's no trace of our debt left in front of the eyes of the king, in front of the eyes of the father. And the result, of course, is peace. We're no longer enemies of God. We're friends. Jesus calls us his friends. You're a friend of God. If you've ever received a, a gift, my wife and I received a generous gift in the last few months. Your response, my response anyway, is what did this cost you? <laughs> if I were to repay you this, this gift, what, what would it be? It's hard to receive a gift and and our our tendency is to want to pay it back. But if you pay back a gift, that gift ceases to be a gift. If there's a transaction, it's no longer a free gift. It's a result of works. It's a result of having earned that thing. It's free. And everything about it being a gift means it cannot be paid for, cannot be earned, cannot be worked towards. It's a gift of grace. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians says it this way, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a free gift of God, not a result of works so that you can't boast. If you know the forgiveness of God, if you know the greatness of this gift of God's mercy on your life, I'm so thankful. Praise God. This is what we remember. This is what we celebrate at the table together. If you don't, my invitation for you is to to know that forgiveness. You can receive the gift of God's Forgiveness. You can come to the presence of the king. You can come into his throne room at the foot of the cross and receive the tender mercy and the unbelievable grace of God as a free gift that's available to you. There's not one sin, there's not one debt that cannot be paid when you come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. There's no forgiveness that will be withheld you. You say, oh, God, I would come, but you don't, you don't know what I've done. Yes, he knows what you've done. You say, I don't, I don't deserve forgiveness. No, you don't. That's why it's grace. 
1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. That's all you have to do. Confess your sins and come before the Father to receive the free gift. The second thing, the cost of forgiveness. If something's to be forgiven, if something's to be let go of, to be canceled, there has to be something to be forgiven, right? There has to be a debt. There has to be a wrong. There has to be some kind of thing to forgive. You see, the servant's debt that day in our parable this morning from Matthew 18, it didn't disappear. It was removed from his title. It was removed from his record, but it didn't disappear. If you declare bankruptcy, if you're so far in debt and you declare bankruptcy, that that record goes away. But what happens to the actual debt? It's transferred to the creditor. Your debt is absolved, but that payment that has to be made is transferred to the one who's forgiving you. It doesn't disappear. And in this case, the debt was transferred, the payment of the debt was transferred from the servant to the king, upon himself, in his grace and his mercy, paid the difference on his account. So my question for us, what's our debt? What, What do we owe God? I love that we're studying the book of Genesis in our normal pattern We've taken a pause and we're resuming here in the Lord's Prayer, but what we've seen so far in the book of Genesis is that God required something of us in the garden when it was perfect. He didn't require very much. He just required us to obey. And as we see, Adam and Eve chose to disobey. And that resulted in the fall of all of humanity. And ever since, we see how we failed and we see where that has led us. And according to Romans chapter six and elsewhere, the payment, the debt, what we owe God because we can't obey is death, is separation from him. Oh, how we've failed, how we have gone astray from what God requires of us. And so what do we do? Just getting our act together isn't enough. Just suddenly starting to obey the rules isn't enough. What about the debt? What about the wrong? What about the forgiveness? What about the the consequence, the payment. This is what makes the gospel nothing short of of an injustice, nothing short of a scandal. Because everything that I do deserve, I don't receive. This is God's mercy through Jesus. Everything I do deserve, I don't receive. Everything I do receive, I don't deserve. It's been given to me freely as a gift of God's grace. But it didn't just go away. It didn't just get swept away and pretended that it didn't happen. That doesn't work. God is a just God. It had to be paid for, which is why we need Jesus so desperately, because our sins had to be atoned for through Jesus because of God's justice. Jesus was our substitute that day on the cross. The one who knew no sin, according to 2 Corinthians 5, God made him to become sin. The one who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Our debt would be not only paid, the verdict would be dismissed, we'd be acquitted, but that we would be declared as righteous. The righteousness of Christ would be bestowed upon us. As if the betrayal from the disciples and his friends, his closest friends, wasn't shameful enough or disgraceful enough, the physical agony of the cross would have been torment for Jesus. 
But what makes this the most scandalous of all is that the ultimate price Christ paid was separation from his father. When the father turned his face away on the cross, when Christ declared, my God, why have you forsaken me? For a time, Christ was separated from his father. He rightly received the penalty for my sin. And he rightly received, unrightly, sorry, received the penalty for yours. This is why it's a, it's a scandalous message. It doesn't make sense. Why would God do this? Why would he pay the penalty for me? Because he loves you. He loved you so much. John 3, 16. He loved the world that he sent his son to stand in your place and in my place. He died for you. This is the cost of forgiveness. Freely available to you and I, but it costs God everything. The cost is massive, but it's free for you and I. Forgiveness is not free. It costs dearly. We've looked at the gift. We've looked at the cost. Let's consider the call. You see the flow here. It says, Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What you'd expect that day in our parable, what you would have expected is that the servant would call in his servant and say, listen, you know that thousand bucks you owe me? You'll never believe what the king did for me. In his joy and in his excitement and in his zeal, out of the abundance of what he's received from the king, you would expect that he would send his servant away free. You'd expect that they would leave hugging, that they would become friends with one another. But instead, he meets the request of his servant with indignation. He is unchanged. He's unchanged by grace. He's unchanged by mercy. And he imprisons his servant. And so Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's as, not because. Do you see the difference? Forgive us our debts because we have forgiven our debtors. It doesn't work that way. God's, God doesn't withhold forgiveness until we forgive, but God's forgiveness is so great that it has to result in our forgiving of one another. It's not a result of our forgiveness, but God's forgiveness results in our forgiving. In other words, it has to change something about you. If it has not transformed you into every fiber of your being or your DNA itself, we need to have a lesson on forgiveness. You need to understand just how big our debt was. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, the, the passage Pastor Barry read a moment ago, a few moments ago, is to put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord in Christ has forgiven you, so you must forgive. You see, this is the dress code for the kingdom. This is how we roll. We have a, a different playbook in the kingdom. God has so much better things in store for us, and it starts with forgiveness. Forgiveness. Withholding forgiveness is like a cancer in your heart. And it's like a cancer for the church, for the people of God. And there's no place for unforgiveness, for resentment. We're called to love each other. And unforgiveness is the exact polar opposite of love. Because love keeps no record of wrong. Love rejoices in the truth. Love is not proud. It's not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not irritable. 
Love endures all things. And unforgiveness is the complete opposite. You've been infinitely forgiven and there's no amount of forgiveness that you could ever share or give or extend to other people that would even ever remotely come close if you could quantify it to the level of forgiveness you've been shown in Christ. And so how can you say you're forgiven if you won't forgive others? How can you stand in the forgiveness of your sins if you won't in turn forgive your brother? So this morning, if there's something you're holding on to from years ago, days ago, if there's a wrong that you're harboring, maybe it's someone in your household, maybe it's someone in this room, can you ask the Lord to help give you grace and strength to let it go? Can we be people of grace, like the kids of grace that the scriptures say we are? There's a Christian theologian and author who says this, his name's Lewis Smeads. He says this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner is you. You've been set free. Won't you set free others? But it's a choice, isn't it? You have the choice to forgive. You have the choice not to forgive. And while it may not be easy to come to the place of choosing to forgive, I hope that it's not a difficult decision between the two. Choosing to forgive versus choosing to harbor, to resent, to begrudge. Forgiveness is the very prerequisite to the restorative work of Jesus' love between people. It's the gateway, it's the entrance, it's the pathway down to reconciliation. It's the first step for healing. Won't you take that step? It requires grace, but God has sufficient grace. He will give it to you when you ask. Or perhaps if you're like me, you're the one who needs to be forgiven from others. On the daily, I come to the people I love the most in my life, in my own household, and I ask for forgiveness for my foolish behavior. And every time, I'm forgiven. There's something very humbling about asking for forgiveness, isn't there? And when the, when the little girl who's three years old is the one forgiving you, that does something to you. Or when it's your wife, the, the person you love the most, or your, or your husband, the person you love the most, they'll forgive you. It may not be easy, but the Lord can give us the strength to do that, how, how freeing it is to be forgiven. I'm gonna invite Jill to come and share. If you were with us last week, we heard from a man named Lawrence who shared his, part of his journey in his marriage. This morning, I've invited Jill to share her journey down the road of forgiveness, the path that she's been on. I invite her to share right now. Thank you, Andrew and Barry, just for giving my husband and I the opportunity to share our stories. Um, and also thank you for so many of you in the congregation who've been praying for us, um, some for years and some for weeks as we've been trying to do this. So um, public speaking of this magnitude is never easy for me. Um, and it's also very personal and painful, so bear with me. Um, God has used his people in their stories to set my husband and I on a path of healing. And so God impressed on our hearts that we also should not waste our pain 
but instead use it to be what we want in the church. My story begins on a November evening in 2017. My evening started with my husband making me dinner, followed by a family movie night. And by 1 a.m., I was packing my three children into the van and leaving my husband. The discoveries I'd made about him that night tore our marriage of nine years apart in a matter of five minutes, leaving me blindsided, brokenhearted, and alone. Forgiveness. The topic seems fitting for someone in my shoes. The things done to me, done against me, done in secret for our entire relationship by my most intimate and trusted friend were nothing short of horrific. You don't bounce back from something like this. You break. So yes, I had a lot to forgive. The irony is that my journey to get to a place of forgiving others started in reverse. I didn't see the significance of the order of the Lord's Prayer until just recently as our church was going through it. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It starts with seeking God's forgiveness for our own brokenness. And God gently but firmly started me on this journey of healing not only this broken heart, but the brokenness found in me coming out in forms of superiority, self-righteousness, bitterness, rage, and hatred. This backwards-forwards journey of forgiveness starts with the breaking down of my own self that was getting in the way of accepting the abundance, grace, joy, and peace that God had for me. I'll share two significant memories of God's working on my own heart before I could even begin the journey of forgiving others. The first time I saw Lawrence after we were separated, we just sat on the floor and wept. He expressed a deep remorse for his sins, that he didn't have the right to even dream that we'd someday be reunited, but that this was his heart. I couldn't make any promises that our marriage would be saved. But in the midst of that conversation, I felt a profound sense of grace towards Lawrence that could have only been placed there by God. Here I was, sitting across from my husband, who had completely ravaged our entire relationship with infidelity, a man gripped and controlled by addiction for most of his life, and I could see God in him. I was confused by this, but felt confirmed that it was from the Lord. God impressed on my heart that day that Lawrence was his, and I needed to treat him as his child, despite the wreckage he'd made of my heart and our family. The months to follow were riddled with waves of volatility. We couldn't get through a day without fighting, and on one such evening, while visiting Lawrence at his place, our conversation spiraled downwards quickly. I became out of control with rage, both emotionally and physically. I've never remembered a time before or since that I was so consumed with fury. I left that night before I could do anything I would further regret, completely consumed by the darkness of my hate and despair. Parked in my garage, I screamed and sobbed. I couldn't move from my seat. 
I felt like I was in a deep, dark pit and there was no way for me to surface. I remember just crying over and over, help me, God, help me. And then I heard him, the voice of the Lord, most vividly, and an image of him reaching his hand down and saying, do you want to stay here or do you want to come with me? The choice was mine. There's always a choice. Drift into darkness as bitterness and despair rapidly consume everything that is good in you. Or walk in the light as he is in the light. And I knew specifically that meant I needed to forgive. Corey Temboon was another woman who had a lot to forgive, and I've learned so much from her and her experience. She once said, forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. My first act of willful forgiveness began in the form of letters I wrote that very night, even while my heart still felt stone cold. I was overwhelmed with the peace and radiance and the grace of God that was poured out on me and through me in that moment. I wish I could say I was changed forever by that profound experience, but I soon found that I continued to be tortured by some of the same things over and over again, and over and over, I would have to choose to forgive. There were different angles and details that unraveled over time that also brought me back to my knees, begging God for the strength to forgive. Forgive and forget is a divine quality of God that I can't seem to fully grasp in my human state. Corey Temboon also put it this way, I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. And to put it in perspective, she was about 80 at that time, so I sometimes feel halfway there that I'm, I just don't have it together, but we do need to just draw fresh from God each day in the areas of forgiveness. And God took a long time to unravel the impact of this trauma, to take account of all that was damaged and lost. I allowed myself the space to grieve deeply, and I see now how very important that was. Glossing things over in a rush to forgive would have only built further resentment later on. It took time to pick up and weigh the impact of each piece of the wreckage. Only by grieving could I fully see what it was that I needed to forgive and to forgive it fully. Healing also meant working through a mistrust that had built up inside of me towards God. I tried to follow God faithfully my whole life. I was a woman who prayed and sought his will for most circumstances, and yet here I was, not receiving out of life what I felt I was owed. Yet God was tender in my indignation and my demands for answers. It took something of this magnitude in my life 
to break down my strongholds of control, pride, and self-righteousness, and to become broken before God and truly see my need for God's forgiveness. My entire life had been steeped in God's blessing. I was raised in a good home, surrounded by people who discipled me and loved me. I began to see that God had been building and strengthening me for this time to pour his blessing of forgiveness on others. I was made for this. I had been equipped for this suffering and hardship with everything that I needed through Christ. I was just as broken, just as human, just as sacred to God as the ones who had harmed me. God's love is scandalous. It isn't fair from our human perspective, but it is God's love that I receive in my sinful brokenness, and that love compels me to do the impossible. Forgiveness of this magnitude simply cannot come from me. I do not have it in me. It's the power of God flowing through me, empowering me to do something I cannot. Our God does not ask us to do anything that he has not already done. He entered into a relationship with us, knowing full well that we would betray him. He also grieved deeply and allowed himself to feel the full impact of our sin as he cried tears of blood the night before his crucifixion. And he walks with us still, offering the freedom that is found in releasing his grace onto others, as he has done for us in the profound form of forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you, Jill. Those words of the Father, do you want to stay here or will you come with me? Words of invitation, of freedom, and of life. Indeed, the path of forgiveness is the way to true life. We see this on full display, God's justice, grace, and mercy on the cross. But we see it trickle down into the most desperate and broken of circumstances but God's people are made for forgiveness. Behind me will be the words to the Lord's Prayer, words that are familiar to you, words that we've recited many times together. And so to close our time of teaching and preaching, I'd like to say the Lord's Prayer together, and then I'll invite you to stand as we sing our closing song. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Would you stand?